0: So you've just come out of university, you've bought your first pharmacy and within a couple of months, Chemist Warehouse is moving in and your world changes before your eyes. What do you do? How do you thrive in adversity and then build the most successful veterinary compounding business in Australia? And that's exactly what you're going to find out this week as Nick Bova joins us Yep, this week is just a tad inspirational.
1: Welcome to the Transformation Show, where successful pharmacy owners and technology partners help you to build a better 21st century pharmacy by embracing technology. Here is your host, Robert Starr.
0: G'day everyone and welcome back to Transformation, the only dedicated podcast in the world where pharmacy and technology collide to bring you the motivated pharmacy owner, all that you need to build your smarter, more successful 21st century business before it's too late. My name's Robert Starr, your host and guide on this fantastic journey of ours, all the way through to episode 90 big show today, big inspiring show. We need more stories like Nick's coming to the forefront to inspire us to greatness but more on that very shortly. We've got time for a quick check-in with you and we'll also make sure we've got a transformation motivational quote as well and make sure you stick around for the three key learnings. These ones are really powerful. I've listened to Nick's interview a number of times now because it just gets more inspiring the more I've listened to it and I know that you're going to take so much away from it as well. Well, How's your week been? Has it been a good one? We're on the lead up to Christmas now so hopefully you've got all your plans in place, all your rosters and everything getting ready for a bumper Christmas period and certainly what you're going to might be doing over the summer months as well, particularly if it's going to be a quieter period for your business. Or if you happen to be over the coastal periods, that might be your biggest season yet. So make sure you take some time over the next couple of weeks before December hits to get your plans in place as well. And as we know, this week's show is brought to you this week by Pharmacy Freedom Index. And with 2016 fast approaching, there has never been a better time to plan how you're going to take advantage of your biggest opportunities in 2016, particularly in the nine critical areas covered in the Pharmacy Freedom Index. Visit PharmacyFreedomIndex.com. It will only take you seven to 10 minutes and you'll receive an instant summary report diagnosing some of the biggest areas of your business that you can take advantage of in 2016. And if you'd like to dig deep and get under the hood of all of those opportunities and find out how you can maximise them over the next 12 months, book in for a consult straight after you finish the Pharmacy Freedom Index and I'll help you map that out. And if you choose, I can also work with you over the next 12 months to map it out implement it and include all sorts of things like full project management, concierge support and done for you systems to make sure you hit the ground running and make 2016 your best year ever. We're going to head across to Nick now, enjoy, make sure you've got your pattern paper or as I like to have my Evernote notebook and I'll see you on the other side our interview today is with Nick bova he's a second generation pharmacist and the managing director of bova compounding and bova vet and he's known as one of Australia's leading compounding innovators especially in the veterinary field Nick bova welcome to the transformation show ah uh, thank you very much thanks for having me Oh look, terrific to have a fellow second-generation pharmacist on the show, Nick. And uh, no doubt, uh, you know, is is a story that you'd love to tell about growing up in pharmacy. What, what did it look like for you? And I guess what what did you imagine your first pharmacy would look like?
1: Good question. I um yeah, you know, have done everything in pharmacy from you know, packing the shelves to actually, I suppose, the first few years was was just hidden down in the uh, garbage area, ripping up boxes and separating uh plastic from recyclables and, uh, you know, did that for several years going through school and, you know, I was on the cash register before I really knew what I was doing. And, um, yeah, I definitely spent uh, many, many years inside the pharmacy and um, there, I suppose there was a, a short period when I thought that I wouldn't be doing pharmacy, but that, that only lasted for about six or so months when I when I started doing a commerce degree and realized that wasn't for me and, uh, yeah, ended up getting getting into pharmacy.
0: I suppose having a father in pharmacy, it's not really an option, is it? And uh, you certainly get plenty of constant reminders.
1: Yeah, well, I was actually the uh, youngest of five kids. Each one of them was uh, bribed to do pharmacy, um, but none of them ended up doing it. And so I I definitely didn't have a choice because someone had to take over.
0: Yeah, no. Well, I think I think as we all as we all look back at you know, it was a, it was a reasonably arduous journey to to get through pharmacy, but I imagine probably not as uh, arduous as uh, your jiu jitsu black belt that I believe takes ten years to complete.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm. Um, I've definitely got another passion outside of pharmacy, and that's uh, Brazilian jiu jitsu. I I started it when I was nineteen, and um, got my black belt when I was thirty one. So it was actually a bit, more than, a bit more than 10 years. And yeah, to be honest, uh, looking at a, a martial art, you wouldn't think that it could be so technically demanding, but it's actually a, a complete science. <laughs> Ended up, um, yeah, studying probably more in to attain my jiu-jitsu back belt than I did um, to pass my pharmacy degree. H- hard to believe, but <laughs> it is true.
0: Well, it's probably pretty hard to cram cram into the last few minutes a few few bits of training as opposed to a uh, an exam where we could uh, yeah do remarkable things in the last few days.
1: Yeah, and uh, and and doing poorly in a jiu-jitsu exam usually ends up in 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 getting hurt, whereas uh, you, you can kind of get away without any physical pain from failing a pharmacy test.
0: Yeah. Well, I guess, you know, it probably would have taught you a fair bit of uh, resilience. And, uh, you know, right now in pharmacy, there's never been a time of, of greater exponential change in all facets, whether it be PBS reform, operating costs, uh, the expectations of our customers. And, uh, you know, having visited your world-class compounding business in Caringba in July, um, could you tell our listeners a little bit about your journey in Caringba, um, you know, from when you took over from your father in 2008?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're definitely right. It certainly is a a tough time out there. I, I, as you said, I took over from my dad's pharmacy in 2008. I I registered as a pharmacist in 2008, and straight away um, bought into or bought my father's pharmacy from him. It was just a normal uh, retail pharmacy um, at the time, and then six months later, um, chemist warehouse opened up 100 metres down the road from us, and um, as I was the youngest of five kids that couldn't just give me the pharmacy. So I, I did borrow and, and took on some significant debt to be able to buy the pharmacy from him. So I, I certainly had financial commitments. And with Kim's Warehouse opening shortly after that, it, it certainly put a lot of pressure. And so I needed to find a solution to replace the GP dollars that I knew were going to walk out the door. Um, so I looked at a range of things, looked at you know, news agency, home health care, um, you know, all, all sorts of professional services and eventually compounding was uh, one of those. And for me, um, you know, I found found a passion in compounding, not not just any sort of compounding, but you know, when we first started, we tried to be a jack of all trades to be able to, you know, do compounding for a range of different specialties. But uh, I found that trying to do too many uh, different specialties at once was, you know, not going to work for a variety of reasons, you know, whether it's buying power, whether it's the knowledge, whether it's, you know, um, your marketing, whether it, whatever, it was, it was never going to work at the, you know, jack of all trades. So, um, I decided to specialize and I looked at the market and thought that veterinary was, um, definitely an option, something that no one else really specialized in. And, um, more than that, uh, I, I loved it. So I I was really passionate about it. And I think that's really important. Um, so started focusing a lot more on veterinary and um in 2010, the compounding business, so it was two years after, 2010, the compounding business had grown to a point where I could uh, separate it. So I separated it from the retail pharmacy, um, you know, trying to specialise in compounding and having uh, veterinarians call the business and call up and speak to a, uh, you know, a cash attendant, you know, 16-year-old girl at the front till and know nothing about it was was not good for the the image I was trying to portray, so I ended up separating and um, moved the retail chemist, actually joined a discount franchise, uh, moved it across the road to try and have it compete with Chemist Warehouse, but then I um, focused on compounding, which was in a different location and uh, was yeah, solely compounding only business at that stage.
0: And I guess, you know, the the fact of Chemist Warehouse moving in, did you get any warning? Um and uh, you know, how did you go about, you know, preparing um, you know, once you realised though they, they were coming in?
1: Yeah, uh I got a little bit of warning, not not a lot. Um at that time, you know, I was very protective of the um the retail business and I thought the only way they're trying to try and compete with them is fight fire with fire and start discounting and um you know that's just how my mind had worked up until that point. I, you know, have now realised after working in compounding for as many years as I have that discounting certainly is not the way forward, and um, or it's not the way forward for me. Um, I think you need to kind of be the best at whatever it is you do, and if you want to be a discounter, then you need to be the best. And unfortunately, I wasn't the best at discounting; couldn't couldn't really compare myself to Kim's Warehouse. So I needed to find something else that um could be the best at. And so initially, my my strategy was flawed. Um, But in the long run, I think it's led me to um, where I am now, which is to be, I suppose, a leader in veterinary compounding in Australia. And um, I'm I'm allowed to operate in that space free from uh, competition like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and certainly there's so many examples that we've seen over the last eight eight years or so um, where chemist warehouses arrived in a community, and uh, you know the the change that happens is uh, almost exactly the same every single opportunity it comes up where pharmacies automatically put up a discount sign, put up a fifty percent off prescriptions, put fragrances in there, and you know, it sends a really negative message back to the community that you know how come it's taken these guys to come here uh for you to do that and uh probably makes them forget about everything that made them special. Um, and, uh, you know, there are many, many community pharmacies that have got, you know, very unique focus points and points of differentiation. But under threat, um, it's, it's amazing, you know, that, that the need is to fight um, and uh, to fight on the same terms. But uh, when we've, you know, researched and looked into Chemist Warehouse model, the sophisticated technology and their supply chain is just unmatched, probably except for Coles and Woolworths. Um, so to to compete on that level, you have to have that same armory behind you.
1: Yeah, that's that's right, and it is very common. I mean, I I I did the same thing, so I know why people would do it. Um, but I, I definitely don't think it's the way forward. I think it's very hard to compete with them on that on that level. And if you know discounting is all that's important to you, then you know there are discounting chains out there that you can join to try and um, uh, go down that road. But I did that. I operated at quite a large discounting kind of big box pharmacy for a while, and um, you know, you know, was successful. And um, and if that's your type of thing, then you know, it can work. But trying to do it by yourself, is bit very difficult. Um, but for me, I wanted to, I suppose, use a bit more of um, pharmacy knowledge that I had and be able to kind of problem solve and find a niche and kind of really develop a business outside of that. Um, I mean, that had challenges in itself, you know, compounding only business. You know, at the time, there wasn't very many of them. So trying to work out what, you know, acceptable wages percentages were or what your an acceptable GP target should be or, you know, just setting up the processes of the business. How, how, how do you do it? How do you do that? You know, you can't just go and ask your wholesaler or, um, you know, your, your friends or your peers that you went through pharmacy school with because no one was really doing that so it was was actually very challenging to be able to kind of come up with a business framework that didn't really exist or may have existed it wasn't common knowledge to people you know pharmacies retail everyone knows you know 12 try and get your wages below 12 percent or gp around 30 and you know it's kind of standard but uh not so in compounding so it's definitely got its challenges trying to specialize but um if it's something you're passionate about and um willing to work at, then, you know, the rewards are definitely
0: there. Yeah. And, and I imagine that, um, you know, having gotten past that initial phase of wanting to fight fire with fire, um, it would have been a point where you thought, no, this isn't working and, you know, you are going to try a multitude of other things. Um, and, and I guess what, what, was, what was your mindset like at that stage? And, you know, I guess what importance did you play on, you know, education and finding people who had done things that you wanted to now do in the business?
1: In terms of staff, or how do you? I oh, just you...
0: In, in terms of the ov- overall strategy. So you know, perhaps even the compounding. Um, did you go and visit some compounding facilities? Visit compounders that were doing it really well to learn from them and learn how you could, I guess, find those shortcuts of getting best practice in from day one. Yeah.
1: So once I realised that you know I wanted to focus solely on on compounding or have the majority of my energy on that. You're right, that's exactly what I did. I I tried to stalk the uh, leading compounders in the world and at that time they were all in the United States. They, they do operate under a different kind of framework uh, to Australia but they were by far the, the most successful compounders in the world and so I spent several years um, flying over there and trying to meet with them, going to trade shows where they were, trying to get past the guard dogs, to kind of speak to the, the bosses and try and work out exactly how they started. Um, and it <laughs> It's actually quite a funny story. I spent, you know, several years trying to get the contact of uh, the head of probably the largest compounding pharmacy in the world, and stalked him in his pharmacy emails, everything, and never returned any of my messages. And eventually, I uh, got his mobile phone number, and again stalked him several times until he eventually agreed to uh, take me out to lunch. And so I flew over uh, to the states and, and met with him. And yeah, you know, he imparted a lot of incredible knowledge uh, into to me. You know, things he went through. In the early stages of of his business, setting it up, and the kind of the pressures he got from, uh, rather than competing, I suppose, with other pharmacies, you know, once you kind of pop your head up and and um, selling a lot of compounding medicine, the drug companies start to get upset with you because they think that you're kind of stealing their market, and so just the pressures involved with that, and yeah, you're right, it was that was kind of the key to me moving forward, not just from how to set up the business, but from um, what the market. Needs. I mean, you can't just um, put up a compounding sign out the front of your pharmacy and hope that um, compounding scripts will walk in. You know, the products don't kind of sell themselves like they do in a retail pharmacy. You, you have prescribers um, who don't know about your your medicine. I mean, right now the way uh, doctors get educated is drug reps come in, educate them about the new product, and then they push the product for you. And as a pharmacy, you just kind of sit there and and wait for the scripts to come in and OTC stuff, mainly sells itself, Whereas compounding is quite, quite the opposite. The, the prescribers don't know anything about it, so that's your job to go out there and uh, explain to them what it is you can offer. Um, and many a time I'd walk into a vet surgery or a doctor practice and just say, oh, I'm a compounder, I can do whatever you want. Um, they just stare at you blankly because they don't know what they want. Their education comes from, from drug companies, so I needed to go away, learn, the types of things they needed, um, and initially that was from the states, and I'd come back here and again go to a vet surgery and say, "Oh, this fantastic um, combination that you know has been used in in the states, and it does this, this, and this." And they just look at you blankly and go, "Yeah, that's not appropriate for Australia because we've got this product on the market." And so so there was a lot of uh, trial and error, um, but that's, I suppose, that was the challenge: understanding your market and. Um, to give advice to anyone out there, it would be to you know pick a specialty and, and completely understand that market, understand what the weaknesses are, and um, have a solution before you walk in and speak to the pres- prescriber. Say, oh, I know you're using this product, and their weaknesses are this, this, and this, and I have a I have a different alternative, which is this, um, and that's when they they get excited. But uh, learning that took, took me a long time.
0: Yeah. And and I, and one of the themes that I can pick up on there is that, you know, even in the change where you were in the midst of having Chemist Warehouse on your doorstep, your business is threatened, you may be losing some of your turnover to them as well. But you decided that in that in that state that you weren't just going to fight the fire and, uh, you know, stay in the business. You chose to spend some time working on the business, going and studying best practice overseas and, uh, you know, looking at, you know, how you can improve it, how you can get out into the veterinary surgeries to find that business to bring in. So, you know, how did you make that decision at that point in time because, you know, many of us when we're embroiled in competition, it's very easy to get stuck in the business to, you know, I guess try and dig yourself out by putting in the hours in the pharmacy. But, uh, you know, what made you decide that, you know, working on the business was more important at that stage?
1: Yeah, it's a a really good point you bring up because um, that attitude goes through a lot of, you know, I remember having that feeling the first time I put on a staff member in compounding. I was like, I'm busy but I can handle it. But if I bring in a staff member to handle this work, then I can focus on you know, growing it. And that decision's really hard because you see all your profit go to bring in new staff members, you're finally making a little bit of money. And then you just kinda of give it all away on the hope that you're going to make more. And that's I suppose for me, I was I didn't want to be the the person right. who had to run everything inside the business. I really wanted to create a business that didn't need me. Um so I kinda of needed to <laughs> put my money where my mouth was there and and realized that I needed to put on more staff to, so the business could operate, so that I could travel and, and meet these people and come back and try and implement the business model, You know, employ expensive marketing and salespeople and get out on the road with them and, and try and grow the business. You, yeah, you're right. It, it hurts. It's a really big commitment um, because, as you said, you know, could easily save those wages and try and do it yourself and do all the hours yourself, but at the end of the day, you've kind of only got a job then. You don't really have a business. And so that was kind of a key distinction that I you yeah, know really pushed myself to to try and achieve.
0: Mm. and you're certainly investing in growth rather than preservation in the hope that something comes along that will turn your fortunes around and uh, I guess really driving yourself forward rather than waiting for your environment to to do that on your behalf and I guess through that and you know as you mentioned there in hiring people uh, for for the business and with the changes that were going on you know having trialing out different things like news agency obviously the compounding you know going into a, a franchise discount environment, you know, how did you go about assessing what your business needed to change and like how you were planning to do that and, or, or did you try to do it all in, at one go?
1: Yeah. Um, so back at that time, I suppose a lot of it was kind of my gut feel, my, you know, sense of the market, you know, in terms of compounding it was, you know, going out to some conferences and, and seeing bets and just seeing the, the, the need that they had, um, And so once I saw that, I was like, you know, there there is an opportunity here. It's just a matter of um, my knowledge being good enough to communicate it with them and and having the right staff and having the right product. Um, But in in terms of uh, retail, uh, it was, you know, you'd speak to your customers, you'd find out, you know, they'd come, they used to come to us. I'm sure every retail pharmacy out there has experienced this. They'd come to us, get the advice and then, go to chemist warehouse to buy it. So you, you knew that price was important to some people and you try and look after them by making price important and other people you knew it was service and you'd, you'd make that a priority for them. And I suppose it's just understanding your, your market. But as I've kind of grown in terms of, or um, well, the business has grown along with me, it's being able to uh, invest a fair amount in surveying, so understanding exactly what your customer wants. Because it's very easy to think, oh, your customer just wants... Um, High quality product, or your customer just wants quick turnaround, or your customer just wants low price, but you don't actually know that until you go out and ask them. So, we invest a fair bit in, in surveying and understanding exactly what your customers want, knowing who your customers are, one, uh, and finding out exactly what they want, and then trying to develop a business around that is um, probably the where I'm leaning towards now. So, I suppose my my attitude, attitude has changed as I've as I've um, learnt more.
0: And I guess on that, that, Nick, are you using technology to help you with those surveys or is it simply just getting people on the floor to, you know, ask them on their exit or on their entrance to the store?
1: Yeah, definitely are using technology. Um, I knew it would come up at some point in the conversation. (laughs) Funny that. (laughs) Technology is definitely not my strong point, but I know it's the the answer to um, improving efficiencies. Um, Well, that that compounding pharmacist that I met with in the States, one of the things he told me, and I truly believe it, is that you will continue to grow as much as you want until your internal efficiencies start to not be able to cope. And so your internal efficiencies could be your your volume of staff you have, it could be the size of your facility, the amount of labs, the, the amount of capture machines, whatever it is, or it could be your actual operating procedures and your your systems, and so for us I've, I've gone through multiple fit out every time we kind of get too busy. I just build bigger labs and put on more staff and but that's not necessarily the the most cost effective way to improve your efficiencies and so looking at the business now, seeing huge amounts of inefficiencies in the computer systems we have and the the i t built around our 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 business and so and now investing heavily in as you said, IT to try and improve those efficiencies, and and that's by far the the most important thing in the in the business at the moment. So I'm not sure if that answers it. But yeah, no, no, no.
0: Look, and and, and it's, it's, it's a fascinating thing because there's never been more availability of technology and I guess the cloud has been the greatest driver of all of that at, you know, at a very low level to you know, all the way to an enterprise level and uh, you know, it just helps <laughs> us to solve some of those little things like it might just be you know, sending a survey out if you've got a database and uh, certainly something that if you had to employ another person, it's uh, a little bit more expensive.
1: Yeah, no, that's right. And, and employing a person, you know, you've got to rely on them to um, to, to do the job properly. Whereas IT you can, you know, pick and choose what people are ordering and, and see what they're interested in and, and target the survey based around that. And, you know, there's, there's, there's lots of different, um, you know, in our business, you know, there's cats, dogs, horses, you know, exotics. So some questions just aren't appropriate for certain types of vets. Um, so you've got to be able to tailor that and, you know, a computer system can do that much better. In terms of, as you said, ERPs or enterprise um, you know, resource planning software, I mean, that, that's, I suppose, the key for us moving forward, having a single database of information to be able to operate the entire business. Mm-hmm. Um, as a compounding-only business, you, there aren't really any kind of single softwares out there that can can do everything for you. So you end up having a you know dispensing software and then you have a point of sale and then you have your... Know, delivery and then you have your lab and it's just, you need the internal intranet and then you've got your website. There's just so many different systems that, you know, trying to make them all work efficiently together is near impossible. So, um, you know, that's that's something that we've been investing in to try and have a a single system that, that manages everything.
0: Yeah, and I guess it's, you know, it's not just software as well. Like, you know, compounding is, you know, made a lot simpler now through, you know, the agency of technology. I certainly know the first time I got to play with uh, electronic mortar and pestle, it looked like I'd discovered gold and, uh, you know, you'd never go back to the uh, to the slab and the spatula after that.
1: No, that's definitely true. That You're right, there is plenty of technology there. I mean, we get a lot of our um, technology actually from the food industry as well. So you, you, there's there's actually a lot of uh technology out there that can be really helpful for um compounding. Um so yeah you know, there's obviously the pharmaceutical stuff, but there's you know, just when you're mixing powders and you're you know, all that sort of stuff, you you know, there are lots of options out there and as you said, there's, there's ever expanding technology and all and all facets. So it's just trying to find the right uh technology that suits you.
0: Yeah. And I guess as you, were, as you were growing the compounding business and chose to specialise, specialise in VET, uh, you know, you would have gone through multiple phases of, of growth. But um, can you tell our, our listeners a little bit about your beginnings and, uh, you know, perhaps for those that are listening now thinking, look, compounding is a very interesting space, you know, it's certainly something I hear a lot about but I've never really thought about, you know, bolting that onto my business. Um, you know, what would be, you know, the, the, about the early days for you but also the first steps? for anyone who's considering it
1: so, so um, I suppose I did lots of stumbling and, and falling and getting getting back up and trying to work out what to do but advice for other people would be to um, to, to pick an area and and specialize in it and there are so many areas in compounding. Um so you know pick a particular specialty .ie whether it's dermatology or cosmetics or pediatrics or veterinary or whatever it is. There's, there's many, 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 many more that I, that I haven't mentioned. And become the best at that. I and mean, There's a lot of efficiencies around that. Firstly, your staff, having um, to be able to train them so that if whichever specialist calls them, they, they know exactly what the specialist is talking about. Um, you can't do that across 20-odd specialties. It's just not going to happen. So you don't come across as an expert and Prescribers want to deal with experts. They want to think that they're calling you because you you can offer them something that other people can't. So, and you know that that's just for that reason. And there's, you know, the the profitability, um, which is obviously an important one to any business owner. You you could do a compounding script. um, It might have three or four different chemicals. Um, By the time you uh, buy each of those chemicals, the machinery to to make it, the hood, all that type of stuff. If you just look at that particular compound, you might go, okay, I only had to use a tiny amount of each of those actives to make this and I sold it for $70 and it only cost me three. Ah, oh, That's incredible. I've got to sell however many packets of Patamax to, to make that same money. What, what am I doing? I should be focusing on compounding. But if you don't sell that same formula uh, enough to be able to use up all of the chemicals then your profitability is is not what you think it is. You've got each of those products that need to be used and the only way you're going to use the same things is by doing the same types of scripts. And so again, focusing on one particular area where you have a limited amount of formulations that you're going to be doing is is going to be hugely beneficial to your bottom line. So I definitely recommend a specialty um, and focusing on getting your knowledge up to scratch, going out trying not to be uh, afraid of getting in front of these prescribers. It can be very daunting, especially if you don't have the knowledge. But once you, you've trained yourself up, um, you know, th- that's the way forward. I mean, I I still am focusing on veterinary and I will be for, for several years more. But at, at some point when I think that, that I've exhausted everything I can out of the veterinary market, then I'll, I'll be cho- choosing another specialty to focus on. And I think that's a, a good way to grow the business kind of going from one to another. Um, but, yeah, there's, there's lots of potential in each one of those specialties that I suppose isn't being uh, fully... Um, uh Taken advantage
0: of by everybody who's, who's currently in the space. Yeah, and and I guess you know once you've picked your your specialty, you know as you mentioned there, you've got to have the ingredients, the I guess the hardware that you're going to you know invest in, and you know I guess ideally uh, for those in, you know space has never been a bigger premium in pharmacy than now. You know what kind of space do you need to dedicate so that you you're giving yourself your best chance of success?
1: When we first started. Um we just had, I think it was 50 square meters that we dedicated to it, um, and that was enough to put in two of those um, powder containment hoods where your staff can operate within. Um, we'd also done it in a, you know, a nice kind of glass frontage inside the pharmacy, so that you know it attracted a lot of attention, and you know that was always uh, something that helped helped it in the early stages. Um, so I, I think you can do it with. Yeah, potentially half that if you only wanted a small amount. But you you do need space for cleaning. Um, Cleaning down is is a is a huge hidden cost in compounding. Um, It's about to make sure that everything's completely clean and validated. And I suppose not everyone will be validating cleaning at the early stages, but making sure that things are clean is definitely important. So you you need to have access to you know water, and you know that takes up space. And so I don't know somewhere between. 25 and 50 square metres from initially, I mean, now we're operating in about 750 square metres. So, um, you know, it's it's changed, but um, you definitely don't need that much space initially.
0: Yeah, yeah and, and, and I guess, you know, it, it's just really, I guess, paying reference that you're going to operate it almost as, I guess, a, a business within a business and, uh, you know, I've seen many times, you know, tried to, people have tried to compound, I guess, you know, off the side of their dispensary sink and, uh, you know, think that that's, you know, anything that's, you know, close to complex compounding can only ever be the simple stuff but, uh, you know, I, I suppose to give yourself that best chance of success, you, you can't just, uh, you know, cut corners and, uh, and hope to get a good result.
1: It is an absolute uh, recipe for disaster. Um, So I would definitely not recommend that. I I wouldn't recommend doing compounding at all, to be honest, unless it was something that they're going to pay attention to. So if they're not willing to, I suppose, invest in in having some form of a lab and dedicating that space inside their pharmacy, then it's probably a sign that it's not for them. Um, But people who are willing to do that, willing to focus on it, then it's a fantastic addition to the business and um but it's not something that as I said you can kinda just build and hope that they will come. It's not it's not like putting in a vitamin section where um you know Blackmores do all the marketing for you and people will just come in and and, and buy it. You, you need to dedicate it dedicate time to it. And so um it would be a bit of a waste of money if, if you weren't able to one, dedicate the space and two, dedicate the time to growing it. Um, it doesn't have to be yourself, it does it. I, I had a passion for it, but um, you know, you need to employ people to do it if, if you're not going to do it yourself.
0: And, and I guess you know, getting to the uh, the dizzying heights of success that you have right now, I suppose if you could uh, if you could uh, put yourself in the time machine, I know it was only Back to the Future Day during the week. Uh, so if you could if yeah, you could do a Marty McFly and uh, go back to 2008 to talk to yourself when you're embarking on this journey, you know, what what advice would you give yourself?
1: Um, I would like to have sped up, realizing that I needed to specialize. Um, it took a while um to realize that um so I'd, I'd really definitely uh tell myself to focus on, on on one thing and and straight away do that and have the confidence to um get overseas sooner and and meet leaders in the industry and um i suppose speed up the process um that that would probably be the the number one advice and and knowing that um compounding was going to be something important to you, to me and, and there was a, a period there where i was trying to Be a jack of all trades and focus on retail as well. And um, yeah, I'll probably just, just steer me in the right direction.
0: Well, I guess, you know, in pharmacy we've been very well known for trying to be everything to everyone and certainly our, yeah. our retail environments often reflect that from the many different stands and, uh, yeah. and uh, gondolas <laughs> that we have and uh, in all sorts of different things we've thrown in there. But, you know, I suppose in retail it's never had to pay for itself because of the, uh, the ultra profitability of the dispensary. But uh, right now it's probably going to work in our favour that we need to be razor sharp and be known for specific things and... Uh, Perhaps just give way to some of the baggage of the past.
1: I, I think so. I, I, I genuinely believe that. You know, unless you're going to join some bigger chain, then um, you need to you need to have an area of specialty. It doesn't have to be compounding, whatever it is. Um, you need to be known for it. You need to be able to charge for it. Um, you know this race to the bottom with discounting. You know when I first entered the compounding market, I. I had that discounting mentality and I came in thinking, oh, you just need to be cheap. It doesn't take long to sit in front of the numbers and realize that, that compounding and discounting don't go together. And, um, you know, you need to feel confident to charge for your services. And, um, you know, that that's, that's that's the whole point of having a
0: business. Well, I think that brings a really good point because, uh, you know, many colleagues I hear uh, <clears throat> either circulating or have seen circulated price lists that go to medical practice where they'll just advertise what they do and it's often they're giving the price list because they're trying to enter in at the discount level. You know, what advice would you give to a, an existing compounding pharmacy who are coming across, you know, new entrants around them who are doing that?
1: Yeah, look, I understand why they're doing it because, you know, I, I did it as well. You go in, you're like, oh, I want this market. Um, they, they're using another compound. That's the only way I can get it is by, by discounting. Otherwise, they won't even listen to us. But it's it doesn't I mean, it doesn't take long for um, you to realize that that's not the way forward. I mean, you might get that business and then another one, and then all of a sudden you're doing it at a price where you're not making any money and you can't put the price up. So otherwise you're going to lose the business. If they come to you just for price, then they can leave you just for price. So you need to be able to convince them to move for, for other reasons. Uh, you need to have a, a level of service, uh, you know, IT that makes things so streamless for them or, or, or some other offer that is enticing enough. You know, you need to work out what it is they want. Maybe it's just quick turnaround and you're able to put on more staff and have a lower profit margin, um, because your wages are high, because you want to have a quick turnaround, um, because that's what was important to that you know, customer. Uh, but in terms of discounting, it's just, it's not the way forward for compounding. Um, there's just too many costs that don't. You know, you have a really high gross profit, but but your net profit can very quickly.
0: Diminish if if you try and discount. Yeah, and and I guess you know looking at that and then taking the taking the eye forward. You know what, what's what's next on the on the agenda for you and Bova Compounding, and you know what would you you know love to see? You know if you were able to ha- take your pick of all of your time and resources available, um, what would you love to see happen today?
1: Yeah, um, yeah, it's, it's probably a long answer to that, but uh, to summarise it, um, I. Um, quality has become the number one paramount thing for for me and and Bova compounding. And so, and not, uh, you know, just saying that, actually having external people come in and and validate that. So Bova compounding's recently got a a GMP license from the the veterinary regulator, the APVMA, to license uh, Bova as a GMP license facility. And um, so the future for Bova is to, I suppose, really expand on that and, um, in the process of finding a new facility and building a much larger um, uh, quality-based compounding pharmacy, you know, discounting certainly won't be an option when it comes to uh, having to maintain a GMP license. There are huge amounts of costs, but for me, I, I thought that was what our customers wanted, and and so that's why I'm adapting the business to um, to, to suit that. So, you know, it's a, it's a long road ahead. I don't, I'm not sure if there are any other um, GMP licensed compounders that have you know, license from the APVMA. So um, I suppose it's new roads ahead and, and hopefully our, our customer base, you know, that's
0: exactly what they're after. Yeah, no, absolutely fantastic. And you backed yourself in all the way through and, you know, no doubt that's going to take you to some, you know, pretty fantastic frontiers on the way forward. And uh, I look forward to following your journey and uh, inviting you back in the not-too-distant future. Oh,
1: that's fantastic. I hope uh, anything I've had to say would help all the people and, and. Congratulations to you on, on transformation. It's obviously uh something to do really well and, and you're just another example of um, trying to find a niche, you know, something that uh, other people aren't doing and um you know, so congratulations to you and I hope it's a fantastic success. No,
0: you're very kind, Nick, and uh thanks for sharing all your learnings today. I know that our listeners are gonna be so inspired after this.
1: Oh, fantastic.
0: Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Nick. Bye. Well, I'm sure you, like me, now look at Nick with the highest order of admiration for what he's been able to achieve, particularly out of adversity as well. And no doubt the world is his oyster and whatever he chooses to continue to succeed with, I've got no doubt that he will. My three key learnings is number one, in the face of challenge, be resilient and don't be afraid to differentiate and stand out from the crowd. Number two, Invest in yourself and invest in your people to foster growth. It's really easy in times of severe stress and pressure just to really get stuck in putting out the small fires in your business. And Nick really made the big decision to choose to step back, take a broad view and invest his time and resources in vital and high opportunity areas. And number three, your growth is only limited by your internal efficiency capacity. And for almost the first time ever, I'm almost going to put in a fourth key learning, such was the quality of what we were able to take out from this week's interview, and that is the need to specialise. I asked Nick the specific question of what he would do differently if he had his time again, and you might argue that he's done it perfectly in response to the challenge, but he did focus purely on specialising and getting into that at the earliest stage. There's so many business benefits, whether it's economies of scale, of doing the same prescriptions, ordering the same ingredients, same skill sets, training, really becoming that authority and expert in a particular area, you can't underline it enough. I think at the moment we're in this position now where we've been everything to everyone for so long. But the rise of the specialty pharmacy is upon us. You only have to look over at the US and see the amazing things that are going on over there as well. And that brings us to our transformation motivational quote of the week, which comes from the great and the late Stephen Covey. And the quote is, A leader is the one who climbs the tallest tree, surveys the entire situation, and yells... Wrong Jungle. I love that one. It's one of my favorite books, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And that particular one, whilst it makes you laugh when he does it, it's not can't underline the importance of getting to the top of the tree and hoping that you're going in the right direction. And if you're not, having the courage to turn everything around and go in another direction, as Nick did today as well. If you've loved this week's show, leave a comment in the show notes. I read and respond to everyone and our guests like Nick today are only too happy to respond to your questions individually as well. Next week, we're joined by Cetal Gill, who's the CEO and the Chief Pharmacist of the Lion Retail Management Group and we talk about the remarkable people management strategies and skills that he's injected into his organisation, where he's got the ideas but how you can maximize the effectiveness of not only your people, but the people coming into your business as well. I know you'll absolutely love it. Have a great week, everyone, and I look forward to speaking with you again next week. Bye for now.